Here we are in Exodus 32, and we have quite a tragic chapter. So the Israelites have departed Egypt under Moses' leadership. Uh, Moses gave them a portion of the law and the Ten Commandments, and that covenant had been ratified, and the people agreed to obey, and Moses sprinkled blood to usher in that covenant with God. And then God called Moses back up to the mountain again. And Moses now has been getting instruction for several chapters of what now is the book of Exodus from God up on the mountain. And Moses is away for 40 days. Now that was a long time. Um, Perhaps it was God's way of revealing what was really in mankind back in camp. But Moses, their leader, was away for a long time. And it did not go well back in camp. You know, this is a a sign of what mankind is like, uh, our waywardness as human beings. And, you know, this was largely likely an uneducated band of people that came out of Egypt. They had been slaves a long time. And they needed strong leadership. And they saw the miraculous work of God taking place in their midst through Moses and through God himself and even the theatrics of lightning and smoke and things taking place up on the mountain. But after Moses was gone for a period of time, this is what happened. Now when the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, verse 1, the people assembled about Aaron and said to him, Come, make us a god who will go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. Now Aaron is getting some pressure from the people. Moses has been gone for a while, and Aaron quickly, it doesn't even seem like there was any resistance here, he quickly seeks to appease and even please the people. And that is one of the mistakes that can happen in leadership and You know, it can happen in America or perhaps whatever country that you're from, too. Now we have, uh, similar to a a popular style election, in the sense that, you know, we the people vote in who we want as our representatives in America. And essentially, they get voted in because they're more popular or they get more votes. And Unfortunately, that means that the people are deciding their values. The people are deciding uh, what is going to lead them. And this is what we have here, don't we? We have the Israelites saying, well, we want something to worship. Aaron, do that. And what was needed was leadership that was going to be based on God. And for Aaron to not appease and please the people and not just do what's popular among the people but to do what's right before God. And Aaron failed to do that. Aaron instead followed the desires of the people and was one of them. And he said, Tear off the golden rings which are in your ears and of your wives, your sons, and your daughters and bring them to me. Then all the people tore off the golden rings which were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. He took this from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made it into a molten calf. And they said, This is your God, O Israel, 
who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. Wow. Now, when Aaron saw this, he built an altar before the before it, and Aaron proclaimed and made a proclamation and said, "Tomorrow shall be a feast." So now he's even coming up with his own feast. You know, so the next day they they rose early, offered burnt offerings and peace offerings, and the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play to frolic, so to speak. What a tragic thing and what horrible leadership on behalf of Aaron to not stand, even if he had to stand alone for the ways of God, but instead just do what the people wanted. And again, he was one of those people. This is not going to go well and God God and Moses are not going to be pleased. Then the Lord spoke to Moses, go down at once for your people whom you brought up from the land of Egypt. And they, have, and they have corrupted themselves. So God has seen this. They have quickly turned aside from the way which I commanded them. They have made for themselves a molten calf and have worshipped it and have sacrificed to it and said, This is your God, O Israel, who brought you up from the land of Egypt. And you know what? God knows. God sees. And God sees the, their waywardness. The Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and they, behold, are an obstinate people. They are a rash people. They are a stiff-necked people. They are people with a propensity to fall into sin. Now then, let me alone that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them, and I will make of you a great nation. You know, God, since the beginning, when he gave a command to Adam and Eve, he said, I've made you in my image and likeness and be fruitful and multiply. And what God was desiring was, that mankind would reflect who he was in true worship of him, take on more of God's character, and then to be fruitful and multiply uh, through the people around them and through their offspring, that they would raise them to worship God and to be more like him. And they got multiplication. The people figured that out. But unfortunately, they multiplied sin. And, you know, this happened so severely back in, you know, the book of Genesis that God flooded the earth and started off over through Noah. But unfortunately, Noah had, you know, a sin problem too. And, and we largely got back to where we were. And now God is seeking to develop a family through Abraham's family and bless that family so that they can be a blessing to the nations. But he still wants them to honor him and represent him. And the people are very much struggling to do that. And God even thought, well, maybe we should just start over through Moses. You know, Moses is, uh, seems to be a man of courage and a man of principle. And maybe we should just multiply through him because this people is obstinate. Then Moses entreated the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your anger burn against your people whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians speak, saying with evil intent, he brought them out to kill them in the mountains and to destroy them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and change your mind about doing harm to your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by yourself and said to them, I will multiply your descendants as the stars of the heavens. And all this land of which I have spoken, I will give to your sentence. He's talking about the Abrahamic covenant and the promise to Abraham, and they shall inherit it forever. So the Lord changed his mind about the harm which he said he would do to his people. 
Now, there's a lot of very interesting points here. So one, Moses reminds God of God's covenant, and, and it's interesting that Moses seems to be giving counsel to God here. That's that's literally what it, it appears like, and, and it works. And God uh, hears what Moses has to say, and he he changes his mind. Now, there's going to be some people that are going to still be severely punished for this, but this brings up an interesting discussion. There's a thing that's called uh, the attributes of God, and the attributes of God are are biblically derived concepts that try to shape God into the attributes. So that he's sovereign, that he's omniscient, that he doesn't change his mind, thing, things like that. And, and it, it tends to be a, a more reformed or Calvinistic way of looking at God. And I think people who like to see things black and white tend to be attracted to that because then you can just say, well, God is always like this every time. There's no other way. He can only be this way. And, you know, again, I've, there's people who, who want to, it just makes things simpler if you see God and he has to work according to those equations, so to speak, of the attributes of God. But the attributes of God is a man-made thing, meaning the Bible describes who God is. <clears throat> and from that, man took things in the Bible and then made what's called the attributes of God. You don't necessarily see the Bible list out these principles that this is exactly how God has to work always, all the time, because this is who he is. And what I would say this is what is inspired? What's inspired? Definitely not man's summaries, not man's doctrine, not a denomination, not a church. Uh, what's inspired is God's word. That's what's true. The, the word of God is to be revered. It's holy. It's good. It's right. And it's what we shape what we believe is from the word of God. So the uh, attributes of God, it's not that it's bad. It's just that it can go beyond the, the way the word of God describes God. So what we should do is we should say, okay, well, you know what? It's good to, to learn these attributes of God, but I'm going to believe them as far as the word of God supports them. So we have one of the attributes as an example is that God never changes his mind, which, you know, when you go to a, a really high view of the sovereignty of God, you would say, well, prayer's not going to change his mind. God's never going to change course because he can't, because he can't change his mind. So prayer is never about God hearing your prayer and doing something different because he already planned that out beforehand because he knows everything and, and he controls everything. And, and that, that's, see, this even gets into a, 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 what I would call a too strong view of the sovereignty of God. For those who've listened to me teach and preach before, I look at the sovereignty of God differently than some. And I would say that God can do whatever he wants and God has control or can take control of everything, but he chooses not to. I think there's a lot of times that God allows mankind to, you know, you reap what you sow. How about that? I mean, look, how does that figure into the sovereignty of God? Meaning, you know, what you do, you'll you'll reap for, for what you do. And if you sow evil and, and corruption and sin, you're going to reap what you've sown. If you honor the Lord and do what's right, you're going to reap what's sown. 
So I guess someone could say, well, God foreknew everything that you would ever do. So then, you know, so you get into all these mental gymnastics. Well, one of the attributes of God is that God would, God can't change his mind because he never changes. He can't change his mind. So that's the attribute of God. But here it says that God changed his mind. So I would say, yeah, God can't change his mind unless he wants to or unless he does. You know, so listen, I know this won't make everybody happy that maybe focuses on this kind of thing, but I believe it in my core of my being that the word of God defines the attribute. The attribute doesn't define the word of God. So God is who he is revealed in the scriptures. He, we can't make a summary about him and then force God to work into our man-made summary. We need to look at God in his fullness, in sometimes the grayness, in sometimes the mystery, and sometimes in ways he works that doesn't fit the attribute. And God can do what he wants. And, uh, you know, there, there's so many things like this. Like, you know, sometimes a Reformed person would say, well, you know, all the gifts of the Spirit, everything ceased. Well, unless he doesn't want it to be, unless he wants to do a miracle of healing, unless he wants to give a prophetic word. Now, listen, I'm not saying we're going to create new scripture, but God doesn't have to follow man's rules, you know? And, and yeah, I get, I get frustrated about it because I don't feel it's viewing God or his word rightly. There's some things I don't understand. There's some things that are a mystery. I just embrace that. And yes, God is someone you can trust from the beginning to the end. He's not willy nilly. He doesn't just the wind doesn't blow and all of a sudden he's up to something else. No, God's not like that at all. So in that way, I'd say, yes, God is unchanging. But can God change his mind? Well, he did so here. So anyways, enough of that. Then Moses turned at verse 15 and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets were which were written on both sides. So God gave Moses his laws and rules and they're on tablets and this is going to be a holy wonderful thing and Moses was going to come down and deliver this to the people they were written on one side and the other the tablets were God's work and the writing was God's writing engraved on the tablets now when Joshua heard the sound of the people as they shouted he said to Moses there is a sound of war in the camp but he said, it is not the sound of cry or of triumph, nor it is the sound of the cry of defeat, but it's the sound of singing I hear. So they're singing and they're worshiping about this golden calf. What a tragic, sad thing. It came about as soon as Moses came near the camp that he saw the calf and the dancing and Moses' anger burned and he threw the tablets from his hands. Wow, what a dramatic moment. These things that God wrote, he... He threw them from his hands and shattered them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf which had they had made and he burned it with fire and grounded it to powder and scattered it over the surface of the water and made the sons of Israel drink it. Wow. I love the radical nature of Moses and how he handles this. He doesn't play. He says, enough's enough. And he grinds that thing to powder. And, you know, what a great thing. So, you know, what sin is in your life that you need to just ground to powder and just get rid of in the name of Jesus, burn it, throw it out, flush it down the toilet, whatever you might have to do so that it is no more. 
that was the appropriate thing to do here. Then Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? Almost like, Aaron, did they force you to do this? Did they like beat you up? Did they like, you know, say they're going to kill you if you don't do this? And Aaron said, do not let the anger of my Lord burn. You know, the people yourself that they are prone to evil, which, you know, here he's, he's right. Aaron is, but he's blaming it on them when he was one of them. For they said to me, make a God for us who will go before us. For this Moses, the man who brought us up from the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. I said to them, whoever has any gold, let them tear it off. Well, at least he admitted that. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. What a, (laughs) can you believe that? I mean, to even say that, oh yeah, we just threw it in the fire and out came this calf. I mean, Aaron, tragic, tragic leadership, tragic to just follow the people. You know, not everyone liked Jesus. <laughs> they put him on a cross, y'all. Not everyone liked the apostles. They were all martyred for their faith. A, a real leader can't be about pleasing the people, but rather pleasing God. And what Aaron did is he pleased the people, and by doing so, he displeased God. And, you know, you got to be careful of a leader who's always wanting to please people instead of please God. And you should honor a leader who, instead of pleasing people, will seek to please God. And we can learn what not to do from Aaron. Now, when Moses saw that the people were out of control, for Aaron had let them get out of control to be a a derision among their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, now this is very uh, significant. He said, whoever is for the Lord, come to me. What a word. Imagine being in the company of a large group and having to make a decision here. Whoever is for the Lord, come to me. It reminds me of people getting up for an altar call or maybe someone getting up to get baptized and give their life to Jesus. And really, ultimately, you know what? we got to make a decision to trust God. And and Moses is going to call out who, who's on the Lord's side. And it not it interesting what happens here? And all the sons of Levi gathered together to him. All the Levites, one of the tribes of Israel, that tribe came and gathered and was on the Lord's side. He said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Every man of you put it, his sword upon his thigh and go back and forth from gate to gate in the camp and kill every man his brother and every man his friend and every man his neighbor. So the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed and about 3,000 men of the people fell that day. They took the lives of the people who were involved in worshiping this calf. It appears they only took the men And the sons of Levi did as Moses instructed. Now, this seems harsh. But you know what else is harsh? Is being wayward and falling away from God and worshiping a golden calf. And I tell you what, I think this probably did a lot of good. And it sent a warning to the people about the tragic and tragedy of their error. And that they would not want to repeat it again. Heavy seeing this many people lose their lives over something as sad and tragic as worshiping a golden calf instead of the one true God. 
Then Moses said, Dedicate yourselves today to the Lord, for every man has been against his son and against his brother, in order that he may bestow a blessing upon you today. God is going to bless you for sticking with him, being faithful to him, and not worshiping idols. On the next day, Moses said to the people, You yourselves have committed a great sin, and now I am going up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So God is, or Moses is already looking on how he can, how he can work with God on forgiveness and atonement for the people. Then Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has committed a great sin, and they have made a God of gold for themselves. But now, if you will forgive their sin, and if not, please blot me out of your book, which you have written. Look at that. Already, all the way back in the book of Exodus, we see the book of life. And what leadership on Moses' part to offer his life. He's like, God, I need you to forgive them. If not, take me. Take me out of your book. Um, Man, it shows not only Moses' heart for God, but his care for the people. Then the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot him out of my book. But now go lead the people where I told you. So the people who worship this idol, it appears, got removed from, well, they, they their name, they got killed uh, by the Levites, and their name got blotted out. But go now, lead the people where I told you. So that's going to be into the promised land eventually. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I punish, I will punish them for their sin. And this may be the punishment that comes, you know, at the tribulation. It could be the punishment when Jesus Christ returns. We're not told here, but ultimately there's going to be punishment for their waywardness and essentially turning away from God. Then, and this makes it sound like it's happening in the future, but I think it's more of a summary of what happened in the chapter. It says, then the Lord smote the people because of what they did with the calf which Aaron had made. It appears to be a summary of what happened in that chapter. And uh, may we not be those people. You know, uh, we are part of this race of a, a wayward people from God. May we stay true to God. May we stay true to worshiping Him. May we worship nothing else. God is God alone. You shall love the Lord your God the Lord alone, and you should love him with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Uh, what does it say, actually? The Lord your God is one. Um, it's only, it, There's only one true God, God and his son, Jesus Christ. And now we father him, follow him through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, the triune God. May we worship him rightly and nothing else. May we see this as a warning to not turn wayward, but to stick with God all the way to the end. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.